Hello. Good morning, everybody. This morning I'm reading Luke 10, verses 1 to 16, from the ESV version. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Chris Cullen, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And today, uh, I just wanted, before we talk about the passage, to just say a thank you to all of our music team people and our AV team people. Um, We've thrown a lot of curveballs at them in recent times, and As you may or may not be aware, but I'll just mention to you, um, Kids Church, it was going to be too difficult with the COVID restrictions to go back to Kids Church uh, the normal way for the last sort of part of the year. And so we're trying to think of how we could make sure that everyone would feel welcome at church, hence the move to have a family service at 9am. 
And that's really made it uh, quite different for the music team because they're trying to practice for a 10.30 service, but there's a 9am service and they've been really gracious and just want to say thank you to them um, for all of that and to the AV team for all the adjustments that they've been making uh, through this crazy journey. And thank you to the congregation too because there's been adjustments for you as well. We're going to uh, have a look at the way of discipleship is the, the series title for as we've come back to the, the book of Luke. And last week, Jonathan uh, reminded us that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus all the way. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 16. Thank you, Liz, for reading appreciate that and before we think about this passage let's pray together Lord we pray today that your word will so impact your people here at WDBC and all who watch online that the eternal destiny of the people in the community around us will be forever changed that the good news of the gospel will go from this place into all the world and that Jesus, our King, will be glorified. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, a, a brief sort of summary of today's passage would be, you know, verse 1, the appointment and sending of the 72, verses 2 to 4, the preparation of those people, Verses 5 to 11, the message, and then verses 12 to 16, the gravity of the message. And if you, when you were listening to this particular passage being read this morning, thought, this sounds a bit familiar, uh, it's quite similar to Luke chapter 9. Now, it was a few months ago that we looked at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and uh, it was Jonathan who was preaching that passage back in August, and his challenge was... Do you consider yourself a passive observer of God's kingdom or a participant in God's kingdom? It's a great question, isn't it? And at that particular time, about Luke chapter 9, 1 to 6, uh, Jonathan's outline was Jesus calls, he sends, and he instructs. And, you know, you could very easily say that that same outline applies to Luke 10, verses 1 to 16. So... What's different here about this passage? Well, the differences between Luke 9 and Luke 10 are two. First of all, the number who are sent. And secondly, the places to which they're sent. The number sent. So back in Luke 9, Jesus has the 12 disciples and he sends them out. And then here we have 72 and you Okay, it's a bigger group, the, the mission is expanding, that makes sense, but there's actually something a, a little deeper about this, and numbers often have significance in the Bible. And I suspect that many of you will guess the significance of the, the 12, the number 12 in Luke 9. So if you were to hazard a guess at what the significance of 12 is, the 12 disciples, what might that be significant to represent? Any, any thoughts? Yell it out. 
12 tribes, yes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So the 12 disciples largely are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel as God raised up the church to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises about Israel being his people. Now the church is his people. That's the easy one. So now we come to chapter 10, Luke 10, and we have 72. What's the significance of 72? Any thoughts? I'm not expecting that necessarily anyone might know, but... Six times 12, very good maths, thank you. That's excellent. And um, there's also, I don't know about in your Bible, but in mine, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and there's a little footnote. And down in the footnotes, it says, some manuscripts say 70. Just as a bit of an aside, now, have you ever had people say to you, oh, the Bible's not very accurate, there's all sorts of, you know, inconsistencies in it and discrepancies? I think this is one of the things that can help to build confidence in the text that we have. Because modern translations are very transparent about discrepancies in manuscripts that were used to produce the Bible that we have today. And so that transparency is here in this footnote. And one of the really uh, inspiring and, and helpful things to be aware is that these sorts of discrepancies between ancient manuscripts, none of those discrepancies really affect the important doctrines of the Bible. Was there 70 people or 72? Does that really make any difference at all to whether Jesus died, was buried and raised again? None whatsoever. But in a spirit of transparency, modern translations these days point out where there are textual inconsistencies with the original manuscripts. And I think that's uh, tremendously encouraging for us and confidence building. So, 70, 72, we're not sure which it was, but what might be the significance of that number? Most commentators feel that the number relates to a listing of nations in Genesis chapter 10. And in Genesis chapter 10, after the, the flood, where Noah and his family are rescued through the flood and all the rest of mankind pass away, the, the nations which then descended from Noah's sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, are listed and there are 70, or in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, there's 72. <laughs> and so most commentators believe that this number is chosen, that Jesus deliberately chooses 72 to be representative of his message now going out to all the world. When he sent the 12, it was to be representative to say his message was going to the 12 tribes of Israel. But now he sends the 72 and there's symbolism in that number to say the message of Jesus is for the whole world. It's not just for the 12 tribes of Israel. It's for everyone. That's pretty encouraging to us because I don't know about you, but I'm not part of the 12 tribes of Israel. But I am one of those who's been included because the message is not just 
for the Jews, but it's for everyone. The second main difference here in the, in the beginning of Luke 9 and Luke 10 is the places to which they were sent. And as we read chapter 10, verse 1, we read, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. When he sent the 12 out, they were just to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. But here, this is a specific sending where the 72 are to go into the places that Jesus was about to go. Now, you'll remember last week in Jonathan's message, uh, he was telling us and then the scriptures showed us that Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. He was single-minded in his mission. He was heading to Jerusalem, the king going to the place where he would take up his throne, although it was a very different throne and a very different crown that he would receive. Here, Jesus is sending the people ahead of him. And the message that we, we read later in the chapter, where they're told to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, why was the kingdom of God near? It was near because the king was coming to their town. Jesus himself was going to be coming through. And so the kingdom was near. And so there's an urgency here about the mission that the 72 are sent on because they are going to the place where Jesus is coming. One of the most difficult things, I think, and, and it's an important thing for us to grapple with, is how do we apply the scriptures to today? This is a really fantastic story, isn't it? You know, here's Jesus, he's sending out the 72 and we can see the progression of how his kingdom is, is moving forward. First there was John the Baptist announcing Jesus, then there was the 12, and now there's 72 being sent with the message of the kingdom. And they were going to the towns that Jesus himself was going to. So how does that all apply to me and to you? You could ask the question in another way. Am I called to proclaim the kingdom of God? Was this just something that the 72 were being called to do? Or is this something that we need to take on also? I think we have a tendency, perhaps in the church, to, um, to use the illustration of the body. You know in 1 Corinthians 12 how uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the body of Christ is full of people with different gifts... And I, I have a sense that often we use the idea of the body and we say, well, the proclamation part, that's for the preachers. That's for Jonathan and Stephen and Chris and Noel and others who are preachers. And so we sort of have a little escape clause. Well, I don't have to do that. My, my gift is, you know, serving. Or my gift is hospitality. Or, or, or my gift is music. Or my gift is administration. 
And so the question, am I called to proclaim the kingdom of God, is really important. Does this passage apply to us personally, or is this just a description of what Jesus did with the 72? I'd like to encourage you that this is intended for us. You see, because the the symbolism of the 72, remember, is that the message of the gospel goes to the whole world. 72 doesn't get very far. 72 covered the towns that Jesus was going to on his way to Jerusalem. But when we think about the whole world, it's a huge place. And there's still so many that need to hear about the kingdom of God and about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Operation World is a Christian organization whose purpose is to inform and inspire God's people to prayer and action in order to change the world. The way Operation World does this is that they, they publish carefully researched figures, statistics if you want, um, don't glaze over here, but um, they put out population numbers for countries, people groups, the number of evangelical Christians, other religions, and unevangelized people throughout every country on earth. And you can find their excellent material at operationworld.org. It's intended to be something that people can use to pray about our world and the mission of Jesus in our world. And I just had a quick glance. At, uh, at three different countries. Albania has a population of about 2.87 million people and only one in every 200 people is an evangelical Christian. 14% of the country have not had an adequate opportunity to hear the gospel or respond to it. And that's about 400,000 people that haven't heard the gospel in Albania. Senegal in West Africa is a country of about 17 million people with 46 different languages and 56 different people groups and over 90% of the population is Muslim. The literacy rate in the country is very poor at 56%. Only one in 500 people is an evangelical Christian and 56% of the population have not had an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond. That's about nine and a half million people. Australia, got to come back home, and you think, well, we're probably doing all right in Australia. If you look at literacy versus Senegal, we're at 99% literacy in Australia. We're closing in on 26 million people, but it's still estimated that 4% of our population have never had an opportunity to adequately hear the gospel explained to them and to respond. And 4% sounds like a very small number, but in a population of almost 26 million, that's about a million Australians that have never had an opportunity to really hear and understand the gospel and make their own choice about it. Jesus' mission is to the whole world. And there are so many that haven't heard. And the call is for us. 
will we proclaim the kingdom of God? Are we called to proclaim the kingdom of God? I believe we are. And the second point is the urgency of the message of Jesus that he is coming soon. Now in the, the narrative in Luke 10, Jesus is coming soon to the towns that he's about to go through. But throughout scripture, we learn that Jesus is coming again. He himself said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And in, in the book of Acts, which is sort of like Luke part two, at the beginning of the book of Acts, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, the angels, two angels come and stand beside the disciples and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And in the final part of the Bible, the last chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, three times in verse 7, Jesus says, and behold, I am coming soon. And then in verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. And again in the second last verse of the Bible, verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Jesus is coming again. Isn't that great? But that makes the urgency of our message so much greater. There are millions of people around our world who have not heard of Jesus. It's not been explained to them so that they can understand what he has done for them. I believe we are called to proclaim the kingdom of God because the gospel is not just for the 12 tribes of Israel but for the whole world and the urgency of the message is that Jesus is coming soon. So how can we join Jesus in proclaiming his kingdom? Well, the passage gives us a number of ways that we can do that. First of all, where to pray. Jesus said to the 72, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, here's Jesus. He's just selected 72 people. And you'd, you'd think that he might say, the harvest is plentiful. Go out and harvest. But the first thing he says is, Stop and pray for more harvesters because we need a lot more than 72. The first thing we can do is to pray for people who will harvest the harvest field. What happens if you've got a harvest that's ready to be reaped but you don't have harvesters? It gets thrown out. Here in New South Wales, we're facing this. Just a week ago, the New South Wales Farmers Organisation 
uh, put out a press release and they said the state's agricultural worker shortage has wiped hundreds of millions from projected harvest income as farmers desperately plead for access to labour. Because of COVID, they just haven't had all of those temporary short-term workers, people who used to come to Australia for a working holiday and would go and do harvesting, they're not there. New South Wales Farmers President James Jackson said, we're getting into a pretty tough spot with a lot of crops. We need up to 16,000 farm workers and we need them now, not in two or three months' time. This was just from a week ago, this was said. You can imagine what a heartbreak it must be for farmers to have their crop of whatever it is, wheat, sugarcane, fruit, I don't know if it's fruit picking season, I'm not a farmer, but can you imagine the heartache if you've got all of this crop but you don't have the people that you need to harvest it? The harvest that we're called to gather in is so much more important. The souls of women and men and children. Jesus says, pray. Pray that God will send out more workers. The first thing we can do if we're going to join him in his mission if we're going to join Jesus in proclaiming his kingdom, the first thing to do is to pray that God will send out more workers. And then just like with the 72, where they become part of the answer to the, the prayer themselves, we are called. Pray first, but then go. Go might mean leaving Australia and going overseas somewhere. It might be as simple as going around the corner to someone you haven't seen for a while to take the message of Jesus. Go your way. Jesus instructs the 72. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. It doesn't sound like a very inviting mission, does it? It's, it's tough. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What happens to a lamb in the midst of wolves? That's not a pretty picture, is it? Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't say this is going to be easy. But we're called to take on the sufferings of the gospel as Jesus himself suffered. It won't be easy. You might feel like lambs in the midst of wolves, but you know what? And um, I'm just doing this one from memory. Uh, one of the commentators I read, so I'm, I apologise, I can't give um, proper recognition to who it was, but I think it was J.C. Ryle. Um, he said, you know what? 2,000 years later, 
the lambs are still here. You might be being sent out like lambs in the midst of wolves, but we're still going. The church is still going. The church is still strong and growing. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. This is an encouragement to them. Just They needed to be single-minded about what they were going to do. They weren't to take a whole lot of things to make their trip comfortable. They weren't to stop and greet someone on the road. And in that culture, if you stop to greet someone on the road it would be because you were going past their home and they would invite you in and you would spend several hours there or maybe days because they would want to show their hospitality to you. And Jesus says, don't get sidetracked by greeting someone on the road. You're to go to the towns and places that I'm about to go and you need to be single-minded about your mission. And so we ought to be singularly focused on the mission that Jesus sends us on. Where does he want you to go? Perhaps there are some here this morning that haven't decided what they are doing with their lives. And maybe it's a message for you today. Where does God want me to go? Where are you sending me, Lord Jesus? And then be single-minded about getting there. The third thing that we're called to do, if we want to join Jesus in proclaiming his kingdom, is to bless others. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Bring a blessing, be a person of peace You're bringing a message about the Prince of Peace. So don't be argumentative. (laughs) Don't come to people as if you're trying to win an argument. Come to people with a message of peace. Bless them by your presence with them. We don't think in these terms very often these days. The scripture says, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him or her. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. What are people of peace? How do we identify people of peace? We come with a message of Jesus, a message of redemption, a message of salvation. We come with a peaceful spirit and attitude to them and we see if they return that we bless them and in the process we discern whether they are a person of peace we pray we go we bless them and we discern If a son of peace, if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you. That's an interesting sort of concept, isn't it? It's like peace is a tangible thing that we give. We give them peace. 
And if they're willing to receive it and accept it, we leave it with them. But if they're not, we take it back. Discernment. And that's, I'll just go back to that for a sec. That's important. You know, Jesus says at one point, don't throw um, pearls to swine, to pigs. You know, pigs don't understand the value of pearls. And it's important for us to be discerning. There are times where we will encounter people and we come with the message of Jesus, but they don't want to hear it and they're... um, they can get aggressive about it or verbally aggressive and they really, they're not a person of peace and that's okay. If that's how they want to respond, it's not our, it's not our responsibility to determine how they respond to the message of Jesus and we can put months and years into trying to develop a relationship with a person like that. And God bless you if you've been doing that with someone in your life. But take the message to those who are people of peace, who are open and ready, who God has prepared beforehand to hear the message. And then we demonstrate or warn. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Where to bring the kingdom of Jesus to them. He's our king. He dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to people and we bring the peace of God to them. And if they are a person of peace, then stay with them might not necessarily physically stay in this culture but keep visiting with them go out for coffee with them keep spending time with them heal the sick that's a challenging one isn't it we have modern uh, medical means by which people are healed today and we thank God for that But here's a challenge to us to demonstrate the kingdom of God in actions, not just in words. Love them, you might say. Do something active that shows the love of God to them. By all means, if you feel impressed by God to pray for their healing, if there's something they need healing from, Please do that. But demonstrate the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And what happens if a person is not a person of peace? Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. This is a physical demonstration sort of a thing they're they're leaving the town and they're to sort of you know shake off the dust as a demonstration to the people as a warning to the people that your inhospitality 
is going to be something that comes against you in the future. Warn them. That's hard. We speak to someone with the message of Jesus and they're hostile, they put up barriers. And where to warn them? You know, this might be the last opportunity that you get to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. And proclaim. Now, in both of those preceding verses, after demonstrating the love of God in Jesus, there's the proclamation the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, for those who are people of peace who receive the message with gladness, we encourage them that the kingdom of God is near to them. And for those who want to put up barriers, we also proclaim the kingdom of God is near you. Don't put it off. So I was looking through sermon illustrations, trying to find an appropriate one. There are just a number of sermon illustrations about the idea of People who put off making a decision about Jesus, who feel a level of conviction and say, I'm too busy at the moment, Lord, my my life is just beginning. A young person who's just on the the journey to to life, I've got to do my university studies, I want to get that done, I'll, I'll make a decision for you later. And then later on, they feel a sense of conviction again, but their career is just starting and, and they think, oh, I can't deal with this right now. I really need to pour my energy into my career. And then later on in life, as they're on their deathbed, it's too late. This is the sort of warning that we're to bring to people. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. It's a visual thing, but it's, it's a way of saying to people, are you really sure that you want to reject the opportunity to know about the saving grace and love of Jesus Christ? Because the kingdom of God is near to you at this time. Don't wait for later. Don't put it off. So we have there six different steps in proclaiming the kingdom of Jesus. And then the last few verses of this passage are really, uh, in a sense, Jesus telling the 72 about the gravity of the situation, about the importance of people accepting the message of Jesus and of the consequences of them not. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That's the town of which they've, you know, shaken the dust off their feet. And then there's a series of of woes here. And, And woe here is like, alas, that they missed it, that they 
didn't catch the truth here. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now, we don't know anything about Chorazin. (laughs) The only time it's mentioned in the New Testament is here in this passage and in the corresponding one in Matthew. So we don't know what mighty works Jesus did in Chorazin. But in Bethsaida, we do know. So as Jesus was traveling through the the towns, we know that in Bethsaida, the disciples were traveling across the Sea of Galilee to get to Bethsaida when Jesus came walking to them on the water. What an incredible scene that was. Can you imagine when they then got to Bethsaida, do you think it's possible that they didn't tell anyone? Jesus had just performed this miracle. He's walked across the lake to them on the water. You can imagine, can't you, that when they got to Bethsaida, they would have been going around to everyone, hey, guess what? We just saw Jesus. He was walking on water. That's not the only thing that happened in Bethsaida. Jesus healed a blind man there. And the feeding of the 5,000 happened in the countryside outside of Bethsaida. And then when we go a little further and we, we read about Capernaum, well, there were lots of things, lots of mighty miracles that Jesus did in Capernaum. We know that in Capernaum, he healed a centurion's servant without even going to see him. He, the, the centurion said, just issue the order and it will be done. And so Jesus said, he's been healed. And he was. In Capernaum, he cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue. And then he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was ill with fever. And then we read in Mark 1:34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. It was also at Capernaum that he healed the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof of the house to him. So you can understand when Jesus says mighty works were done in these cities. And here's the, the real kicker because Jesus is speaking to Jews, remember? And he says, you know, If these works had been done, if these mighty miracles and signs had been done in the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon, those Gentiles would have repented long ago. But you Jewish people here, you've seen all of these miracles and you haven't accepted me. It's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? I think it's a warning that's there for the 72 to understand how important the situation is. The harvest is plentiful, but it's not a harvest of wheat, grain. It's a harvest of human souls. People whose eternity will be determined by their decision about Jesus. And the passage finishes with these words of Jesus to the 72. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, 
rejects him who sent me. We're sent as ambassadors of Christ. And when we speak the words of Christ, it's as if Christ himself is speaking them. And the Father who sent him and sends us. This has been a pretty tumultuous sort of couple of years, hasn't it? Not perhaps as chaotic and tragic as the events of World War I and World War II, but there's been a lot of comparisons about COVID to the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919. That was thought to have killed somewhere between 20 million and 50 million people. And with COVID, we're talking about a pandemic which is like that, which is one we haven't seen in 100 years. And there's over 5 million people that have died because of COVID in our world. Back in the late 1920s, there was an African-American blues singer called Blind Willie Johnson, who wrote a song referring to the Spanish flu. And the idea of the lyrics of the song is that the pandemic was God's warning to people to turn away from evil, to seek the Lord and pray, because Jesus is coming soon. It was covered by a couple of Christian artists in 1990, Glenn Kaiser and Daryl Mansfield. And the words of the song, we've been told our God has warned us, Jesus is coming soon. We've been told our God has warned us, Jesus is coming soon. We don't tend to look at big events like COVID and like natural disasters as warnings from God. And in fact, if, if preachers get up and say there's a warning from God for people to repent they get picked up by the mainstream media and mocked and so we're quiet about things like this but for all of the biblical period and for most of the era of the church until perhaps recent times people have looked at things like natural events natural disasters pandemics and they've said these are warnings that we should repent and turn to God. And that's pretty much what Jesus says in the last verses here of this passage. If the mighty works, if the signs and miracles that were done in Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida had been done in Gentile cities, the people would have repented. We've been told, our God has warned us, Jesus is coming soon. We're called to go out for Jesus. There's a huge mission field ready for harvest. Will you pray that God will raise up workers for the harvest? And will you accept the call to be one who goes to bless others? to discern if they are people of peace, to demonstrate the kingdom of God to them, to warn them if need be, and to proclaim that Jesus is the king 
and that he's coming soon. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be people who go out for you with the message of salvation that is in our King Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.